This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This week, pharmacists planned a so-called Farmageddon, three days of nationwide walkouts at CVS and Walgreens pharmacies. They say they're overworked and understaffed and have been for years. If we can't answer the phone at all, like that's a, that's a problem. That's a major staffing problem right there. I was having a miscarriage and still went to work the next day with a pair depends on. I mean, we're doing testing through the drive-thru. It was rushed. Like you had, you learned how to give an intramuscular vaccine over the computer and you practice on an orange and then you practice on a person. And they're like, here you go. Here's your license. You can give shots now. It's like, whoa. I, I think when we have pharmacists telling us about hundreds of prescriptions in the queue, if you can't take care of the primary business of the pharmacy and supplying those medications to the patients, then you shouldn't have extraneous services added on top of it. Those interviews are from the documentary, Would You Like Shots With That? It's about the fast foodification of pharmacies in the U.S. This week's walkouts come after protests from pharmacy workers at Walgreens across the country last month and multiple walkouts at CVS stores in Kansas City. Although workers' complaints are ongoing, the scale and impact of this week's walkouts are difficult to confirm, and change has been hard to come by. Pharmacy worker complaints come as their retailers face other struggles. Last month, Rite Aid filed for bankruptcy, and CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid have been closing thousands of stores over the past couple of years. Between overworked pharmacists and large-scale store closures, what is the state of retail pharmacies today? And what do these shakeups mean for the communities who rely on them? We'll take a closer look at those questions after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. Let's start by hearing from those with experience in retail pharmacies. Wendy Lear is an independent pharmacist and a former CVS pharmacist in Virginia. Wendy, welcome to the program. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Candice Olushala, the host of the Pizza is Not Working podcast. It's part of a campaign to highlight working conditions for pharmacists and to push for change. She's also a former health outcomes pharmacist at Walgreens. Candice, thanks for joining us. 
Thanks for having me. So, Wendy, you worked in retail pharmacy for about 12 years. Briefly, how would you describe that experience? Well, I would say, so I did work for an independent that was sold to CVS. And um, as I stated in the uh, USA Today article, you know, at first it was it was a huge change, but tolerable because we did have the support staff. Um, and then just as the years went by and we noticed um, big change, like big cost to CVS, um, buying Aetna or, uh, you know, other things, uh, getting rid of cigarettes. Every time something big would happen, we'd notice that there was a huge tech um, hour decrease. And so through the years... It was like we were frogs being put in boiling water, you know, being put in a pot and the, the heat turned up. Um, it, became, it became overwhelming to the point, um, you know, medication errors happening, um, you know, obviously patient safety being put at risk. And then, um, you know, looking back at my experiences, it, it became overwhelmingly unsafe for the patient and for myself. Um, just too much stress, not enough help less hours, um, and you get to a breaking point. You know, you shouldn't sit in your car and cry before going into work. Candace, along with being a pharmacist, you've also studied public health, and you say the current situation in retail pharmacies is a public health issue. Explain that connection. Yeah, so with what's going on in the pharmacy world, the reason why I would say it's a public health issue is because when you have an unsafe work environment behind the counter, it increases the chances of errors and patient unsafety, lack of safety, once we're dispensing medications. So when we don't have the support staff, when we don't have the manpower to get everything that's on our plate done, it affects how patients get what they need. It affects when they get what they need. It even causes for hospitals to experience readmissions, which actually is a ding on Hospitals, they're not supposed to have patients that have been in their hospital come back for similar reasons, especially within a certain window of time. And we've been seeing a lot of that due to what's going on in the retail world because patients can't get what they need because the pharmacy staff behind the counter can't safely always give them what they need. Wendy, help us understand why we're hearing from so many pharmacists that they're overworked. What's what's happening in these pharmacies that m- leads to them not being properly staffed? Well, we're not. So it's not something new. This has been an issue for a really long time. It's just getting to that boiling over point. Um, you know, you've got, you have stores like CVS that have cut hours. So they're, they're you know, closing stores, um, for example, you know, they used to be open 24 hours and now they're closing at 11 or they're closing at 9. And in that, you still have increased metrics of we need you to do more. We need you to give more vaccinations. We need you to do more prescriptions. And, and also, they're decreasing technician hours. And so they're asking you to do the same amount of work in less time. And so it, it, you are getting to that boiling point. So this isn't new. It's just um, we're at that point where pharmacists are finally starting to say, you know, I can't do this anymore. This is, this is, making, this is physically making me ill. And if I'm not well, I can't help my patients. 
I want to mention that we did reach out to CVS and Walgreens to be part of this discussion. CVS declined to participate, and Walgreens did not respond. Well, Candace, during your time as a pharmacist, your main job was to conduct phone consultations with patients to go over their medications. But while you held that position, the system became automated and timed. How did that affect your work? It it affected my work um, pretty severely, actually. The, the work that I was doing as a health outcomes pharmacist was to contact patients all across my state and make sure that they were taking the medications that they were prescribed as they were prescribed and seeing what they knew about those medications, etc. The The system would actually automatically call those patients. So just to have a visual you would have a phone number pop up on your computer screen. You have no name reference to whose number this is, but you would have a button that you would need to click that would open up an electronic medical record, and it should have that patient's information. Sometimes that button worked, sometimes it didn't, and you only had 15 seconds. The phone was gonna call that patient regardless once the 15 second mark hit. So hopefully if the button worked and you saw the medication or saw the patient's profile open up, you would be able to look at their medications. But it's not safe to try to figure out what medications this patient has and compare it to what you're calling them for within a 15-second window. It's actually impossible, especially with the lag between clicking a button that opens the system and then actually going into the files. The issue that I was seeing outside of just the 15 seconds to try to figure out who I'm actually calling and what medications they're on and what I'm talking to them about, there were actually HIPAA violations that were going on where you would see medications under a patient's chart that did not belong to that patient at all. It would belong to a patient in a completely different state. The system recorded our phone calls, recorded our screen time with those patients. So if we, in that 15-second window, did not catch that we're looking at the right patient profile that has the wrong patient's list in it, and we mention one of those medications over a recorded call, they would say that it's the pharmacist's fault, and that would put our license in jeopardy versus admitting that it was the system's fault for mixing up patients' medications into different patients' charts. Candace, how long did you have to complete a call with someone? They gave us maximum seven minutes, and if we went over, we got dinged. We have just about 45 seconds here, but Candace, you, you were vocal about the issues you saw within your store and industry. You say you were retaliated against. What happened? Yes, um, I spoke up for my fellow pharmacists across this, the country that were having similar issues, and I would escalate the problem as far up as I could go, demanding that it needed to be discussed because it was turning into a public health issue. And because I was speaking up, the managers would actually call me and berate me over the phone for hours, telling me that I'm just trying to be lazy, telling me I'm trying to just cause problems. And eventually I put in my two weeks notice and they just told me to leave within about four days after I put it in. Um, They were ready to to have me leave because they didn't want people bringing up the issues anymore.
That's Candice Olushala. She's host of the Pizza is Not Working podcast. It's part of a campaign that highlights working conditions for pharmacists and pushes for change. She's also a former health outcomes pharmacist at Walgreens. Candice, thanks for sharing your experience with us. Coming up, this week promised a Farmageddon. What actually happened? Back with more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Made in Cookware. Did you know that many popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in Made in Cookware? Their carbon steel cookware combines the best of cast iron and stainless clad, gets super hot, and is tough enough for grills or open flames. Remember what great dishes on menus worldwide have in common. They're Made in Made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MadeInCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing, like not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This week, pharmacists planned a three-day walkout at major pharmacy chains like CVS and Walgreens across the U.S. Pharmacists say they are overworked and understaffed. It's something some of you have experienced as well. I've been working in retail pharmacy since 2014, unfortunately. But in short, uh, big box retail pharmacies prioritize profit over patient safety leading to exploitive working conditions. Uh, pharmacists face overwhelming tasks, outdated technology, and limited breaks. Additionally, some pharmacists monopolize insurance, causing medication shortages and higher prices. They have to go to competitors in which their insurances are not taken. It's concerning how individuals are harmed for the sake of profit and pharmacy staff are held accountable and have to handle the bulk of the complaints of the customers while the corporate are just breaking in the money and nothing is changing. And now let's bring in two more voices. Emily Lacaz is a senior investigations reporter with USA Today. Emily, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. And Bridget Groves is the vice president of pharmacy practice at the American Pharmacists Association. Bridget, thanks for joining us today. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. We got this email from one of you. I've worked 34 years as a staff pharmacist at Walgreens in Chicago. Working conditions have grown to dangerous levels, which have caused severe stress to pharmacy employees and unsafe conditions to our patients. In our area, many techs have been calling in sick during the Farmageddon. I don't think a walkout will help. We just have to come back to more work. I believe this needs media attention. Pharmacists aren't typically unionized, so these walkouts weren't planned by an organizing body. What is meant for communicating protests and demands, Emily? 
Well, they've been using social media quite a bit, um, Reddit, Facebook, um, and other um, platforms to get out the message. So yeah, it has been difficult because of that lack of unionization, although that may be changing as well. Again, I've heard from many pharmacists who say they are interested in unionizing, and I believe some of the large labor unions um, have reached out and expressed interest in representing them. So possibly that could be coming. Michael Hogue is the CEO of the American Pharmacists Association, or the APHA. He released a statement on Monday saying, quote, APHA stands with every pharmacist who has participated in the walkout today. The bottom line is that we support every pharmacist's right to work in an environment with staffing that supports your ability to provide patient care. The American Pharmacists Association also supported walkouts by pharmacists in Kansas City, saying the healthcare system needs to change. Bridget, pharmacists are saying they're overworked and understaffed. What does the association see as the main causes behind these complaints? Excellent question. There's quite a few factors and variables at play, unfortunately, in this situation. We know that this is not new. We know that issues around working conditions, staffing, and concerns for pharmacists and pharmacy personnel well-being have been around for many years, even prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic certainly shone a light on the situation, made it brighter. Our pharmacists and pharmacy personnel were there for our patients and for our country, administering well over half of the COVID-19 vaccines, providing testing and treating them. So we know that they've been there, but now it's our turn as a country to be there for our our pharmacists, our pharmacy personnel. Recognizing that it's a, a multifactorial consideration of what goes into these situations and scenarios, We're recognizing, though, that one of the biggest things is the payment and something called a DIR fee, where money is taken back on prescriptions um, from the pharmacy benefit managers at that point of care, at that point of sale at the pharmacy level. These are then impacting how much staffing can be at each location, and then that changes the hours and the number of prescriptions that can be filled by that pharmacy team in those limited hours. So while that's one of the factors at play, there's quite a few others in there as well. But recognizing that these DIR fees and the fees that have been assessed on pharmacies over time have continued to get worse, it's just going to keep making that squeeze even tighter. We're going to talk about pharmacy benefits managers a little later. But Wendy, how did the pandemic expose issues you were already noticing in retail pharmacy? Well, I mean, the pandemic, that just was, you know, we had people coming into the pharmacy who, or not coming in and calling in and wanting it mailed. So that was another whole aspect that was set up during the pandemic was uh, we were mailing prescriptions, but we had people come into the pharmacy getting prescriptions that they hadn't had in say eight months because they were afraid that they would not be able to get those medications. Um, You know, we're talking like allergy medicines or something. So we had a huge spike and, um, you know, the insurance companies and pharmacy benefit managers were allowing patients who weren't previously able to get 30-day supplies, I'm sorry, 90-day supplies, were now able to get 90-day prescriptions. So we were getting calls for extra uh, medications that patients maybe didn't even need, but they were panicked. And then we were also getting, you know, the calls for these 90-day prescriptions. So we were filling a very high volume. Um, And then, of course, the pandemic brought the extra vaccine, the COVID vaccines, 
Um, we saw the flu shot, the, the first before the COVID vaccine came out, that year we gave out more flu shots than we ever had before. Um, CVS sets a goal, a yearly goal for your vaccines. Of course, it's another metric that they monitor. Um, and we hit our yearly goal within three and a half months of, of starting, you know, to document how many vaccines we were giving because people were nervous about getting the flu plus COVID. They, we didn't know enough about it. And that was prior to the COVID vaccine coming out. So we were doing more vaccinations, doing more prescriptions. Um, I mentioned it earlier, you know, closed earlier. Um, so uh, again, higher workload and uh, we're definitely not getting as much help. So that's, that's what we saw. And then the COVID vaccination came out and that added in that extra metric of expanded vaccinations for CVS. I want to get to an email we got from one of you. The problems we have today are the same problems that we've been having way before the pandemic. There's also no pharmacist shortage, but CVS refuses to staff more than one pharmacist at a time. The chronic understaffing leads to a single pharmacist running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Mental health of pharmacists have been declining for a while now due to feeling trapped because of enormous student loan burden. I was diagnosed with clinical depression while while working for CVS, the months after I quit, the depression cleared up. Emily, I want to come to you first on this issue of, of pipeline. Are there enough pharmacists out there to properly staff the pharmacies that exist in the U.S.? That's a great question and one of great debate. Um, the, the chains have told me that they are experiencing <clears throat> an acute staffing shortage that's making it difficult for them to properly staff their pharmacies. But the number of pharmacists um, right now is the same as it was before the pandemic. From what I understand, pharmacists are just... Uh, on the one hand, unwilling to work for these chains anymore. They are scrambling to get out of CVS and Walgreens and try to find a dream job inside an independent pharmacy or switch to a hospital setting, for example. The other problem, though, is pharmacy technicians, these valuable, sadly underpaid employees who are the backbone of these operations and really provide much-needed help to the pharmacists. These chains will bring them in in droves at the start of the flu season um, and then reduce the hours after the flu season ends to the point where they can no longer make a living um, and they are forced to uh, unfortunately leave to find other employment only to be, um, you know, wooed back, uh, supposedly, you know, at the start of the flu season. By, but of course, by that point, they're gone. They don't want to be back anymore because they know it's sort of like putting a chair out and then yanking it away before you sit down. They know those hours are just going to get taken away from them. Um, and even in the beginning of the flu season, when they are able to recruit new um, pharmacy technicians, it's it takes a while to properly train these people. You can't just train them in the middle of this, this crush of vaccination appointments. And so from my understanding, talking to many pharmacists throughout the country, that is a huge problem, is this, um, you know, bringing on techs and then dismissing them and, and then scrambling to try to replace them again at the start of the next flu season. They can't do that and they need to pay them more is what I've been told by many folks. Bridget, from the American Pharmacists Association perspective, what kinds of structural changes need to happen to ensure pharmacies are properly staffed? Quite a few different components likely fit into to this appropriate staffing. You know, having uh, the pharmacists have fundamental responsibilities and, and rights that are 
exercise for them, um, something that the American Pharmacists Association and the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations worked on together is the fundamental pharmacist responsibilities and rights. Recognizing that our pharmacists practicing with honesty and integrity and educating their patients and their public to enhance public health. But then we come to the flip side of the, what are those fundamental rights from the pharmacist's perspective to be treated in a considerate and respectful manner, to have a working environment where the necessary resources are allocated, reasonable working hours and conditions. So these are the things that are, are some of the basis of what needs to happen at that pharmacy to assure that the pharmacist and the pharmacy technicians that are providing that high level, high quality patient care can be expected. And that we know that having the appropriate staffing, having appropriate levels or or measures of quality and not just quantity are going to assure that these structures can be done so in a manner to be effective, efficient, and allow for our pharmacists to provide that level of care to take um, the time to assess those medications and administer vaccines and perform patient care tests appropriately and effectively, you know, to the training and the top of the, the training that they have and the reason that they became pharmacists in the first place, Mm. to provide patient care. We're going to take a quick pause here. Still to come, why some say middlemen called pharmacy benefit managers are upending the drug business. Back with more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. Sleep at night. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from one of you. As a physician, I find it really difficult to call a prescription in because they're so busy giving injections or vaccinations. I don't think it requires a pharmacist to give a vaccination. I think they should hire a technician or a nurse and let the pharmacist do what only pharmacists can do, and that is fill prescriptions and talk to the physicians about uh, controlled substances. I think it's a total waste of the pharmacist's time and training for them to be giving injections. We did reach out to CVS and Walgreens to be part of the discussion. CVS declined to participate and Walgreens did not respond. Protests by pharmacists are happening as retail pharmacies are facing wide-scale closures. This year, Walgreens announced it was closing 150 stores. And in 2021, CVS said it would shutter 900 stores over the next three years. Last month, Rite Aid filed for bankruptcy. Emily, the retail pharmacy space is struggling with their bottom line. What's going on? It's uh, quite a few factors have conspired to plunge retail pharmacy into the state that it is in today, but possibly none um, plays a larger role than pharmacy benefit managers. These um, sort of third-party administrators of um, health insurers, pharmacy plans have reaped greater and greater profits uh, for themselves at the expense of um, pharmacies who are receiving 
uh, less and less in terms of reimbursement for those drugs. In fact, seven or eight out of 10 prescription drugs now, uh, the brand name ones, are um, sold by pharmacies at a loss. That means they are buying them for more money than they are receiving um, from reimbursements on these drugs. At the same time, as was mentioned before, these DIR fees, direct and indirect remuner- uh, remuneration fees, are um, clawing back, um, you know, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars at the end of the year from these pharmacies. It has caused numerous ind- independent pharmacies to close and forced uh, many other pharmacies to scramble for an alternate source of revenue. Vaccinations have been a big source of that alternative revenue where they can earn $20, 30 $40 a pop for every vaccination they give out, which is why these chains are pushing so hard on their pharmacists to drum up a lot of vaccination business for them. So yes, the PBMs have played a huge role. And just explain the role PBMs play. And just to give people some context, uh, CVS, Caremark, Express Script, and OptumRx are the three biggest PBMs, but exactly what do they do? Yeah, so they are a middleman between the insurers, the drug manufacturers, and the pharmacies. Uh, They negotiate drug prices with drug manufacturers. They determine which drugs will be covered by insurance plans, and they set the reimbursement rates for pharmacies that buy and sell the drugs. Um, They've been around since, I believe, the 1960s, um, but they have played a larger and larger role as that middleman as the years have gone by and pocketed um, greater and greater profits as a result of of that role. They're very powerful. And um, the folks that I've interviewed over the past few months have all pointed to PBMs, their unchecked power, and the desperate need of regulation by Congress, the FTC, which actually has opened an inquiry on PBM practices um, that is ongoing right now, as well as their state legislatures, all of which play a role in regulating these entities, but um, for very long have not really done much. Here's a message we got from one of you about PBMs. CVS Health and its Aetna Insurance and Caremark PBM division play with accounting to starve retail pharmacies, including its own CVS Pharmacy. They steer business to CVS Pharmacy while cutting reimbursement rates so they can drive competitors out of business and claim the retail pharmacies are unprofitable as unprofitable. Then CVS cuts staffing due to the budget shortfall that their own parent company created. Bridget, how is the American Pharmacists Association thinking about the issue of pharmacy benefit managers and and how what to advocate for in that space. Yeah, this is something that has been an issue for us to address um, for the profession, for our members for many years now. We recognize that PBMs um, seem to have gone unchecked for for many years and and for far too long, which has led to many of the issues uh, that on the reimbursement and coverage for pharmacist services side that we've described today and that we've seen play out in our pharmacies across the country. So we've been conducting surveys, we've been doing analyses and identification of these gaps and of the issues that PBMs um, are impacting. And, you know, of the pharmacists that completed a survey that we conducted in March, over 90% of them indicated that they strongly agreed that these practices are negatively impacting their practice, their ability to provide patient care, steering patients to different locations. The clawback fees, as Emily mentioned, are just 
so deadly impactful on the bottom line and ability for the pharmacies to be staffed appropriately. So it is something that APHA has taken a longstanding approach on advocating to Congress and to other legislative agencies to make sure that these industry are this industry is in check and we're providing our support on what it should and could look like to assure that our patients have access to the care that they deserve and they need from pharmacists, their medications and the other services that they can uh, receive as part of that. So it is something that is a cornerstone of the work that the American Pharmacists Association and many other organizations in pharmacy are taking as a priority. Emily, many people depend on the big box pharmacies for their medicines. What does all of this mean for communities? Yeah, it's it's not just that they depend on on these big box pharma, big box pharmacies. In many cases, they are forced um, to use those big box pharmacies, even if they would rather not, because of the PBMs that we had spoken about. They actually steer patients to those big box pharmacies. In some cases, they they have no choice. So for them, this is not just a free market decision. Um, this is this is where they have to go for their medicines. And um, it's scary to think that pharmacists who are, and looks, I've interviewed dozens and dozens of them. These are passionate people. These are intelligent people. These are people who care deeply about their patients. But they have been pressured to work in situations where, as you've heard, they feel dangerous. And despite their best efforts to keep their patients safe, those mistakes are happening. And they are hurting people. I've interviewed numerous families who've experienced grave injuries as a result of these medication errors. I have been told by pharmacists, look, um, we're doing our best, but we advise you check your prescription when you pick it up. Is is that your name on, on the bottle? You know, these are supposed to be round white pills. Do they look like round white pills? I mean, really do your due diligence and, and be that double checker. Wendy was saying in a double check system, she's sadly the only one who's checking the customer needs to be the double checker in this case, and it's unfortunate. We got this email from Patricia who says, I tried to switch from using CVS because of how terribly the pharmacies were run. I tried to start using a small local pharmacy that provided amazing patient-centered care, and then my insurance refused to work with this smaller pharmacy and would only allow me to go to CVS or Walgreens. We also got this email from Mark who says, the lack of response from chain pharmacies for your program speaks volumes to the lack of patient care, patient safety, and staff welfare. It's a scary situation for healthcare in this country. And again, we did reach out to CVS and Walgreens to be part of this discussion. CVS declined and Walgreens did not respond. Emily, what have you heard from these companies? Well, they say that they are um, sympathetic to what pharmacists have dealt with over the past few years. They understand that these have been challenging times. They say that they're actively listening to the concerns of their pharmacist and trying to implement things to make things safer, to take some of the burden off of them. Um, They also speak of new technologies they're rolling out to improve the prescription verification process. But listen, every pharmacist I've talked to has, has said, with every new technological rollout, um, we've seen staff cuts as a result. Oh, this new technology is going to save you five seconds on verifying a prescription. Well, now we can reduce the number of pharmacy tech hours that you have in your store, basically putting them back at square one. But even worse, this technology is breaking down. Numerous pharmacists have told me they they constantly experience difficulties using the technology that's supposed to keep them and patients safe. So... 
It's tough. Wendy, what do you hope happens next? Well, I I mean, ultimately, I hope that my um, colleagues are supported, that big box uh, companies, um, you know, listen to their employees and start staffing appropriately. You know, when I left, uh, the CEO of CVS had a $15 million bonus given to him. And if he had just, and that's on top of his salary, and if he had just taken a million dollars and given back to his stores in tech hours, it would have provided a little bit more um, help to create a, a safer environment for everyone involved, uh, patients and employees. That's Wendy Lear, an independent pharmacist and a former CVS pharmacist. Also with us, Emily Lacaz, senior investigations reporter with USA Today, and Bridget Groves, the vice president of Pharm- pharmacy practice at the American Pharmacists Association. Thanks to you all. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Spark Cash Plus. Terms and conditions apply. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.